In the name of Jesus, amen. If I had been born a girl, <laughs> my name would have been Beth Jolene. My mother tells me anyways, it's because, you see, she has three sisters, Elizabeth, Joanne, and Kathleen. <laughs> and that would have been uh, a tribute to them. And on top of that, absolutely unique. Uh, I did an internet search to see if that was uh, really the case, and it turns out that there is a Dr. Beth Jolene Arnold, uh, who is an internist at the University of Kentucky Hospital, but she is younger than me, so it's possible that when I was born, I may have been uh, the only Beth Jolene on the planet had I been a girl. Instead, thanks to the Y chromosome, I ended up with the 55th most popular boy's name in 1973, one of 5,200 or so other American males named Benjamin that year. Peter was the 52nd most popular name that year. Uh, popular before that, of course, and very popular after as well. One website says today there's about 600,000 uh, Americans, almost all men, but even a handful of women, whose name tag says P-E-T-E-R. And I bet if we added up all the other Peters and all the other English-speaking countries, along with the uh, Pedros and Pierres and Boutroses, that's the Arabic version of Peter I learned this week, <laughs> I bet we'd have many millions more, many, many millions over the centuries of Peters. But today, we heard about the very first one. When Jesus said to the one who was called Peter, and I tell you, you are Peter, as far as the very smart folks who scour ancient texts can tell, it was the first time in the history of naming people, that someone got named Peter, it means rock, as a, as a proper name. Things like Matthew, Mark, Luke, Mary, Martha, Simeon, Peter's original given name, those were as, as common as Benjamin's in 1973, but Peter was a veritable Beth Jolene, absolutely unique. Maybe it would have been something like celebrities calling their kids Apple or Stormy or something like that these days. We'll come back to that. But first, the other unique naming in our gospel lesson for today, uh, the one which is given to Jesus in a way. Jesus and the gang, as you heard, they're, they're, uh, they're up and out of the way, maybe as far as Jesus ever got away from Jerusalem in a, a city called Caesarea Philippi in the north of the Sea of Galilee, today called the, the Golan Heights area, if you're, you're into geography. It's an ancient city, uh, once known as Peneus, until a guy named Herod Philip really spruced it up rebuilt it, and uh, named it after Caesar. That's what you do when you want Caesar to like you. You either build or spruce up a city and call it after him. So it's uh, Philip's Caesarea. There's a bunch of Caesareas. And it was a Gentile hotspot, uh, a getaway for the Gentile crowd, maybe sick and tired of the, the boring, stodgy uh, monotheism of, uh, of Jewish Palestine. A Gentile hotspot, lots of Roman soldiers, and with them all kinds of pagan shrines, as many as you can imagine. In fact, there was this long esplanade lined with shrines, 
You can go see the ruins of it today. I've seen it. Chapel after chapel, folks could pop into to maybe offer a sacrifice here or there to this idol or that. And I imagine Jesus, at least the way I imagine it anyway, walking along with the gang, his disciples, along that esplanade and looking at all those chapels, maybe people popping into those, those little places, and asking them, so who do people? Who do the people, maybe the very ones popping into the chapels, who do the people say that I am? How do I fit in? Of course, they pipe back. Oh, some, some say you're one of the Jewish prophets, you know, John the Baptist, maybe even Elijah, Jeremiah, something like that. But then he hones in. He says, but you, who do you say that I am? And that's where we get the other naming of sorts. The first one, actually, still called Simon, not yet Peter. He responds, you, you are the Christ. Not a Christ, not one of the many who before and after would claim to be the one, but you are the Christ. Not just one of the many, but you're the one, you are the unique, you're the king, you're the promised one, you're the true one, you're the sure one, you're the solid one we can count on when everything else fails and dies, and it will, for you are the son of the living God. You see, I think it's something like this, that, that, that all those other gods dotting that esplanade, you might ask yourself, well, why all those gods? And you might say, well, I just told you, because it was a Roman hotspot and they have lots of gods. But why all the gods? Maybe this. Maybe it's because the world is a very, very scary place. And perhaps the biggest reason it's so scary is because it's so darn uncertain and, and mushy. And so when you're, you're scared of something like a, a famine coming, you're scared of a, a famine, a few years of, of horrible weather, and then, boom, all of a sudden people are killing each other and stealing their food, where you're terrified of that. So you come up with some gods, some weather gods, to buy off, to perhaps ward that off. Or maybe you're, you're terrified by the uncertainty of perhaps having to go through life alone, and who is it? And so you have a, a bunch of uh, romance gods to shoot their love arrows your way. Terrified of what might happen to your beloved little one. Your beloved little ones, oh dear, what parent doesn't think that every day? What if my little ones don't become big ones? And so you have a whole pantheon of health and protection gods. Your arch enemy at the office always cutting you down to size, so you have a a bevy of cursing them gods. You're going to go travel by land or sea, go some weird place you've never been before. You get the idea. As many as are the fears and uncertainties, as many as are the things that could possibly go wrong, so many of the gods. Unless you're Peter and his confession. For him, just one. Who do you say that I am? You are the Christ, the King. The enduring one, the sure one, when everything else fails and falls and crumbles away. That's Peter speaking for the gang and speaking for you and me. Because you see, and of course you see, (laughs) in terms of the scariness, we're pretty much in the same boat as your average Marcus or Miriam treading along the esplanade in Caesarea Philippi, circa A.D. 30. 
Sure, there's better medicine, and we're not quite as dependent on turns in the jet stream, but still plenty of otherwise of what-ifs and who-knows. I mean, I mean, imagine, what if, what if out of the blue, some, some virus <laughs> were to turn into a global pandemic? I know, it's weird. Could have happened. Shut everything down, people going crazy. Imagine if something like that could happen. Wow. What about this? Do you ever really know someone? I say that because I think that the scariest uncertainties revolve around people and relationships. Do you ever really know someone? Uh, of course, it always gets asked when something spectacular and horrible happens, gets reported in the news, and then you, you get a clip of someone saying, you think you know someone, and then you find out that the local dog catcher and church president is the BTK killer. <laughs> Do you ever know someone? But much less spectacular, too. I had two people, completely unrelated circumstances, people probably none of you know, I talked to this past week, who spoke almost exactly those words, verbatim. Do you ever really know someone in the context of some pretty serious betrayals? Maybe you've said it yourself. Of all the people in the world, I thought I could count on him until he cheated. For years, I thought she was my rock. I could tell her absolutely anything, only to find out that for almost as many years, she's been blabbing it to the whole world. People. I mean, yeah, they might just up and die on you, too, when they're not supposed to in the prime of things. I probably keep coming back to that myself, because I know myself as pretty mushy, pretty fickle. Do you ever really know someone? Do you ever really know yourself? You ever ask that? Like, and, and who the heck am I? Or Paul style, why do I keep doing this stuff that I don't want to do, but I go back to it over and over and over again? Why can't I get it together? Which brings us back to that guy. They got the weird name, maybe people chuckled. Who'd call their kid Peter? <laughs> you are Peter. Like I said, it means rock. But he did not get the name because he was so solid, because he was Mr. Reliable, because he's the one you want to stand up and stand out when the going really gets tough. I mean, it's sort of almost sermonic cliche by now, but you know the stories. Just about every time, really every time, Peter actually does try to stand out and go it on his own and be the stand-up guy, do Jesus a solid, be Mr. Reliable. He sinks. One time, literally. <laughs> Makes kind of a funny spin on rock. Maybe the disciples uh, poked him with that. Jesus called him rock. Yeah, sink like a rock. Because just before that, he'd, fell, he'd sunk a couple weeks ago. We heard of it. Just after this text, he's trying to talk Jesus out of going to the cross. And then at the trial, the trial, the one, the trial that would end with him getting dragged to the cross, when the one time when Jesus really needed someone solid to lean on, at least to be there next to him, you know that story too, rock, Denies Jesus three times, and cock-a-doodle-doo, the rooster crows. No, I'm pretty certain Jesus named Peter, named Simon Peter, rock, exactly because he was not so solid. And he looked out at all of his disciples and said, of all the people, this is the guy which is going to need to be reminded what is solid more than anyone else. Like every time anyone ever calls his name, hey Peter, hey Rock, he needs to be reminded so often. 
Jesus says, upon this rock I will build my church, and the the gates of hell, the powers of evil, shall not prevail against it. It's not upon this rock, Peter. It's upon what Peter's just said, that you are the Christ. Upon the rock which is sure, the rock that is Jesus, the one, the true, the firm, the one foundation that does not crumble is Jesus. The one sure thing that does not, that will not let you down, that will not let you go, people will, is Jesus. People, places, things, no sure thing. You are not a sure thing, and I certainly am not. I can make you all kinds of promises, promises out the wazoo, and I will try to keep them. But I am weak, and you should be forewarned that I have a long, long history of breaking promises just like you do. On top of that, I might up and die. Then what happens to my promises? But Jesus, he died for the very purpose of keeping his promise. (laughs) For the very purpose of putting to death anything which could keep you from him. And raised with death already behind him, where there's nothing in the way of him anymore, not even death, that can keep him from doing the very same to you. He is the son of the living God. Lots of scary and uncertainty. Jesus is not. A final image to help you remember that. Rock solid Jesus, uncertain world. The weather vane. Some of you may know this. I just learned this this week. You know what kind of weather vanes? You know what it is? You see it on top of barns and and buildings these days. The, The stationary crossbars, right? North, south, east, west. And then there's some kind of spinny thing. There's probably a name for it. <laughs> uh, on top, that moves, moves with the wind. Uh, what's the common, perhaps the most common? I think it is. Uh, spinny thingy? Well, the rooster. Yeah, I always see roosters on weather vanes. Why, you might ask. You might think, oh, it's because they're often on chicken coops. Nope. There's little debate, but it seems that rooster weather vanes first showed up on churches a long, long time ago. Pope Gregory I, in the 6th century, deemed the rooster, approved it, had to get approval, as a a good symbol to put in churches. He got one up to about 250 years later by another pope, Pope Nicholas I, who said not only is the rooster a good symbol, but it is a required symbol in all new churches that are built. You can put the rooster anywhere, but many of them, turns out, they incorporated the rooster into the weather vane that they put on top of their church. Right up on top. As a reminder of Peter, yes, but of which Peter? Super strong Peter? Nope. <laughs> As a reminder of sinking, mushy, denying Peter. They could have put a, a big, uh, flashy angel on top of their church. Or maybe a, a pre-haircut Samson in full flex. But instead, the symbol of the mushy, denying, sinking Peter. Right up on top, all as a way of calling to a scary world, scary precisely because so much of it and so many of its inhabitants are so darn mushy, as like a billboard to say, whenever you see a building with a rooster, know that in here, even the mushiest will find a firm place to rest. For this place, this place, In this place, the sinking, denying, and mushy find Christ. You find sure promises. 
Promises that not even death can shake, because he's got death behind him. The sure promise that Jesus is your friend, he's answered for all your sins, and all is forgiven. Here you find the most solid meal of all. You find the first course of a feast that will have no end. You find Jesus. And with him, with you, and as surely as he is risen, he is with you. You find Jesus with you, and him with you means even all the powers of hell streaming out of its gates shall never prevail over you. He's the rock upon which all the mushy Peters stand. One last thing. If anyone has a rooster weather vane, But they're not using. We could find a good place for it somewhere up on top. (laughs) In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.